0: Good morning. I'm Chris Farrell, filling in for Angela Davis. You're listening to NPR News, and I'm glad you could join us today. So, how would you describe your relationship with money? You know, are you a fearful spender, you know, saving most of your income? Are you racking up credit card debt by spending too much too often? Do emotions rule your spending? Are you struggling to pay the bills with higher prices for everything from groceries to utilities that are just eroding family budgets? You're finding your financial voice It takes time, trial, and error, and we all make money mistakes, and we all deal with financial challenges. And personal finance is figuring out what it is you want out of life and what do you truly value, and the answers are part of a journey, and the details can change with the passage of time. So in other words, personal finance is about deciding how to live your life and then putting practical money decisions behind those goals and those beliefs. Managing your money well is a critical part of trying to create a good life. So with that perspective in mind, I'm joined this morning by three savvy finance experts to talk about how to build a healthy relationship with your money and ways to organize your finances to achieve your goals. And I want to hear from you. What is your relationship with money and what would you like to change? What role do emotions play in how you spend or save your money? And do you have a bad financial habit that you would really like to break? The phone lines are open. Calls at 651-227-6000 or 800 800- 242 So now let's bring in our guests. In the studio with me is Sharon Powell. She is an educator with the University of Minnesota Extension and specializes in financial capability and family relationships. So welcome.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: Also with me in the studio is Shannon Doyle. She is Financial Education Program Manager at LSS Financial Counseling for the Lutheran Social Service of Minnesota. And I'm glad you could join us.
2: Thank you, Chris. I'm happy to be here.
0: And... Missing the cold weather, uh, is Ross Levin. Ross is the founder of Accredited Investors Wealth Management, a comprehensive fee-only wealth management firm in Edina. You might know Ross from his regular gains and losses column in the Star Tribune. Welcome, Ross.
3: Thank you, Chris. Hi, Sharon, Shannon. Chris, Everyone, that introduction I was so good, I, I've got nothing left to say, so thank you.
0: Oh, good. So we, we won't get back to you then later on. Okay. Okay. So I want to start out with asking um, – Each of you the same question and uh, Sharon I'm going to start with you and um, in your experience and you know you've all dealt you know with so many people who are struggling with their personal finances what does a good relationship with money look like?
1: Oh, uh, that's a great question. And I I really feel like the best relationships with money are when people are able to use money to achieve their goals. So they feel that they are in control of their financial decisions and they have the resources to be able to, I always say, cover all of their needs and also some of their wants. And that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Okay. And Ross? You know, uh, the relationship
3: with money, Chris, changes all the time. And so money represents different things to us at different times. And we expect what we buy to do something for us right away. And we expect what we save to do something for us later. So some of us, I think, discount the future too much. And some of us don't enjoy the present enough. So I think the key thing, as you mentioned earlier, is really understanding uh, what's most important to you and uh, developing a philosophy around that and then creating habits that will help you get to that philosophy.
0: And Shannon?
2: I don't know that I have a whole lot to add after those two definitions. <laughs> I mean, could I say ditto? No. <laughs> ditto is <was> perfectly acceptable. <laughs> I do think, it, I mean, really, though, it is about about everything that Sharon said about, you know, having enough to meet your goals, being able to make choices around your spending so that you can still save and, and meet those goals. But also what Ross said, that it changes all the time. It changes with, you know, our, our status uh, our relationship status, our parental status—you know, so many different uh, stages of life—that our our uh, relationship with money is going to change. So it's not a it's not a stagnant thing.
0: <laughs> no. Yeah. So, Ross, I wanted uh, your latest Star Tribune column, uh, which I read, and, and you say that one of the most important discoveries you made in your four decade plus career in in financial planning. Um, is how we can all get stuck on how something could have been different. And we kind of face this choice, hold on to that or move on. And you make the case for moving on. Yeah. Chris, one of the things that that happens
3: with money, all of us have done things in the in the past that we've regretted we bought something we we shouldn't have we didn't buy something we wanted to uh we made a foolish decision and a lot of us get stuck in what we did and the more we kind of stay there the less able we are to move on with our life i say it especially true you know you you in in major things it's it's uh Having to do with job changes. It can happen with a divorce. And what I've discovered is that moving on doesn't mean ignoring what happened. It means sitting with what happened and trying to understand what caused those kind of things, but also letting it go. You have to kind of give yourself permission to move forward. And if you stay in the past, you're a prisoner to a past decision. And remember, the the problem with the past is that you're never going to change it. So you need to learn from it, but you're not going to change
0: it. And, you know, Shannon, there's nothing wrong with an impulse purchase or two. I mean, we all do this, right? I mean, all of us. And and, uh, um, but that said, you know what are some ways uh, to tap into to use so that we can better control our spending so you, so that we can have a kind of laugh about an impulse purchase or two as opposed to uh, a consistent behavior pattern of spending and then regretting the fact that you spent
2: right. <laughs> I am I am no stranger to impulse buys. <laughs> in fact, recently in, in in uh when I'm presenting workshops, I've been talking about the thing I've been struggling with is looking at my bringing my phone to bed at night and then thinking of, oh, that's right, I was gonna look up this pair of shoes or whatever it was, you know, and uh and just scrolling through the retail sites and and then wanting much more than what I actually needed and impulsively going, oh, well, that pair of shoes and that pair of boots, they're all really cute. And I'm laying in bed. (laughs) And and it's really easy on your phone to just click and buy something, right? And so, um, and even more than what you had, what you had planned to buy. So um, I think that uh, for me, uh, one of the things that I have to do is realize that First of all, I have to charge my phone in the other room <laughs> so that I can't look at it at night. And um, but also it's uh some some things that uh work for me to control those impulses is just taking taking a cooling off period is probably the best thing ever that I ever learned as far as you know, going, Okay, I really want this. I'm feeling the wants. When my daughter was young, we would call it the wants. I've got the wants. And uh, and that was when we knew if we were shopping at the all, it was time to go home. Uh, if when I'm feeling the wants, when I'm laying in bed and I want to click that instant buy, I, I go, oh, okay, this is the wants. And so I take a few deep breaths, try to put my phone down and say, you know, if I'm still feeling like this in the morning, maybe I can get them. But for now, I'm going to delay that. So mm-hmm. delaying a purchase is really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Sure.
1: Yeah. I just wanted to add that um hearing you describe that story reminds me that money management is like other habits that require a certain degree of self-control, like exercise, health and nutrition, and um, understanding that we all have a certain amount of willpower each day, and as we go through the day, we deplete that amount. And so knowing for yourself, when are the times that I have the least amount of willpower to deal with these things? And then uh, working that into your decision making, as well as understanding where your weaknesses lie. And then there are many tools we can use these days to um, help us Help support us during those times of weakness, like automating things, setting up some extra steps mm-hmm. to, before you can get to your money to pay, pay for things. All of those, but you have to make those decisions when you got a lot of willpower, not mm-hmm. in the when you're in the in the heat of the moment.
0: Right, let's go to uh, the phone lines, and Michael in Mankato is on the line. and And Mike, what is your what is your question?
4: Hi. um, Yeah, I have a a long-winded question, I think, but I'll try to keep it short. uh, (laughs) This is less of a heat-of-the-moment scenario, but more of a long-term. So I'm 37. I uh, have lived through now probably, I don't know, three recessions or two recessions at least. And as part of my job, um, you know, we're told that you should always max out and contribute more if you can to long-term investments through your, like, 401ks and whatnot. But as a 37-year-old looking at the marketplace and how fickle it is and how lopsided it is in terms of when it falls, who will be paid out first, what do you do to to invest long-term without, um, you know, the possibility that when you're 65 or 72 or whenever you decide to start withdrawing, um, without running into the possibility that none of that money is going to be there, which is the case that happened to my grandparents and my parents before me. Um, I... I I I invest in bonds, I max out contributions, I contribute more on top of that, but I can't get my my employer to put my 401k behind, you know, government bonds, for example, which might pay out better and be a safer investment. But what does one do in this situation? Because we're asked to just rely on the market, but at my age, I don't trust the market, Um, seeing the history of the past, you know, 40 years, so...
0: I'm glad you asked this question. Thanks. This is a great question. It was not a long-winded question. And I really do appreciate that you that that you asked. And I'm gonna uh, ask all three of our experts to weigh in on this. I'm gonna start off with you, Ross. Um Michael, you know, the, the, the question that you're asking is really
3: uh important for all of all investors. And what's interesting is that when you're in your thirties, Uh, you've got a long time uh, horizon for which to invest. So the best thing that can happen for you in your 30s is for the market to be horrible for the next 25 years and then suddenly rebound at the time that you need your money because every month in your 401k, you're buying more and more shares and eventually markets um, recover. What you're you're describing about your grandparents was real. The depression was a real thing. Uh, It was a terrible uh, period of time for a lot of people. But even during that period, Uh, there were stages where markets did uh, very, very well. um, And there were terrible uh, portions of that market. I think the key thing to remember is time is your friend. And when you mentioned that, for example, your 401k doesn't allow government bonds, well, you know, a government bond index was down 14% last year. So it's not to say that government bonds don't fall uh, as well. But again, everything needs to match your time horizon. If your time horizon is long, you can accept more risk. If your time horizon is short, you need to be in cash or things that are going to pay you a lot for keeping your money safe. You have a long time horizon and you can accept more risk, therefore.
0: And Shannon, I know, that, you know, you give classes and I'm sure, at, you know, considering what happened in 2022 with the stocks being down and bonds being down that, you know, a lot of people are asking you about their their retirement and whether or not they're going to be able to retire.
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that I hear most often is, you know, I I worry I'm not going to have enough money to retire. And uh, and this comes from people of all ages Uh and you know, I I think that Ross gave a really good explanation of of the long term and and the you know if you have a long time you're going to be okay. I love you know buying stocks on sale, my favorite thing. <laughs> um, but uh, but I think that too we have to think about the emotional side of it too. And I'm and I apologize, I can't remember the caller's name, but Michael, Michael. Um, uh, I I think that you know what I heard him say is that he's lost trust in the system, and he's anxious um, about being able to actually retire and have enough money to live off of in the uh, future. And I think a lot of us are feeling anxiety about the future, and I don't have a good answer for how to handle that anxiety um, outside of really trying to normalize these conversations about finance and opening up to others and talking about how we're all feeling about it.
1: I think that's important. That's great advice. Sure. Well, first of all, Michael, I'd just like to say I'm really sorry that your grandparents and your parents had that experience. That must have been so hard. Um, but the th- only thing I think I would add to this great advice already is um, that it's important to consider your risk tolerance, that not everybody has to be an aggressive investor, but um In order to make those decisions, I think it's a great idea to speak with a financial advisor. Like You can find those, and they're really helpful. Even if you have a retirement program through your work, you can work with someone to help you make decisions and explain kind of for this period of your life, here's what would probably be the safest but also most advantageous for you. So you don't have to go out alone, as um, Shannon was saying.
0: Yeah, and I think I would also just add to Michael' applaud that he is saving. I mean, he was being aggressive about his savings. So in the end, uh, for so many people, since he has access to it, that's a really just an important step right there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go to let's go to Alexander in uh, Rochester. And Alexander, what is your observation?
5: Um, I appreciate the the show. I'm 66, and when I was 54, 55. Uh, one of my sons and I thought about starting a business, and I, in order to finance it, and I'm a single dad uh, with four kids, in order to finance it, I'd have to basically take a mortgage out on my house, which wasn't paid for, and maybe use some of my money from my 401k. But um, through the, the bank, the banker I worked with, two different bankers, two different banks, one in rural Minnesota, one in Minneapolis, South Minneapolis. But both of them said the same thing. At your age, it, it's too risky to start a business. Don't do it. Don't mortgage it. Don't cash in your 401ks and take that, you know, uh, you know uh, that hit on it. That should do. And and I I guess what I want to say is you got to trust your banker. You got to listen to them, whether you're 25 or 55. And I did take their advice. We didn't do it, but I did. We still started the business on a smaller level, and it did. And it has done very well. I'm 66. I'm not retired. Don't plan to retire. But um, but I'm kind of enjoying life a little bit more from the help I got from bankers. And I want to say bankers, not financial investors that want a piece of the pie, but bankers that look out for your financial interests. And I, and I just want to say to your...
0: Yeah. Well, you also have there. less stress, right? That's I mean, you have less stress because you're... You're not worrying about that you tapped into your 401k or taking a home equity loan, all that kind of financial stress. But you still got the business, which is very cool. Yeah. Well, let's
5: go. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks. Just the the whole idea is get a good banker. And if you don't trust your banker, fire the banker and get another one. Like if the horse dies, get a better horse. All
0: right. Thank you. Well, let's go to Josh in Minneapolis. And Josh?
6: Hey, good morning. Um, so my question is sort of related to Michael's call and, and the last caller a little bit. And I guess it, I suspect I know the answer, but um, what, what is the wisdom of cash, of taking a withdrawal from qualified dollars? You know, I look at the accordion that is my 401k. It goes up and down with, you know, um, you know driven by, you know, the reality out there. Um, but it is tiresome to see it go up and down. But the one thing that's kind of a constant menace is the, the, the mortgage. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm late 40s. I'm contemplating taking a withdrawal from my 401k and locking in some of those gains by paying off a big chunk of the interest on my mortgage, and that w- would involve a prepayment penalty unless Secure Act somehow lets me do that, which I doubt. But anyway, so I guess the, the overall question is, is it with the wisdom of taking a withdrawal from qualified dollars to pay off uh, interest uh, or pay off a big chunk of a mortgage?
0: Okay, maybe the people that I hang out with, Josh, but this is like a heated and hot question that I've heard over and over again over the years. So I'm going to toss it to Ross. Ross? Okay, thanks, Chris, for that. Um,
3: <laughs> Josh, there's a few things to, to consider, and I just want to make sure that that um, I understand everything. But the first thing is um, you're obviously um, a withdrawal from uh, – your qualified plan is going to either result in taxable income, or it's going to—you're going to end up taking a loan from your qualified plan, unless it was a Roth component, and you might have a little bit of uh, latitude around that. So it's not just your your uh, early withdrawal penalty, but you're also going to have. Ordinary income. What's interesting about mortgages today is that fewer and fewer people are itemizing because uh, two things have, have gone on. One is uh, the standard deduction has increased dramatically, and uh, tax brackets have also uh, inflated a little bit. So you might not be getting the full advantage of a mortgage deduction. So in the past, everyone used to say, well, you know, your mortgage is one of the best things that you can have because it's fully deductible. That might not be the case. But the other thing I'd say, there's two things to consider. One is I don't know what your interest rate is on your mortgage, but if you took out the mortgage a few years ago, it's probably quite low. Uh, and you you may look at putting less away for retirement and directing some money toward the mortgage, but, but I'm not a fan the way you described it of pulling money out of your retirement plan and paying down your debt.
0: Okay. And one of the things I want to ask uh, all of you, and it's kind of – been in the background, and particularly one of the answers that um, you gave, Sharon. You know the sense of not having control. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of all these, all the callers coming in. There's been a lack of control. A lot has been focused on the markets, but it's this lack of control. So you can't do anything about the business cycle. You can't do anything about where the markets are going to go. So what can you control when you're thinking about your finances? In other words, it seems to me you should be focusing on what you can control, not what you can't control. Mm-hmm.
1: I completely agree, and I love how you brought up the strength of the – I think it was Michael who's such a good saver, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, that's something that you can always do, hopefully, even if it's a very small amount, you can establish habits that will continue to keep you in um, in um, financial health. You can also, as I mentioned in the very beginning, just know yourself, focus on where your money is going, and you can use very um, simple tools like a spending tracker to know exactly where your money is going. And then things don't seem so mysterious. And you can begin to say to yourself, okay, given what's going on in the economy right now, here's what I have to work with. So what should I be deciding to spend on right now? What should I hold off? What can I hold off? And uh, I think that gives people a greater sense of um, security and just to feel that they're They're in control of where their money's going rather than just being buffeted by what comes along. And even though right now we were talking earlier about inflation and interest rates rising, if you're a borrower, that is scary looking. But if you are someone who's a lender, like, you know, investing in things like bonds, for instance, and if you have a a savings account, this is a pretty good time for you. So you can keep that in mind, too, that there are always... Whatever the situation, there are different ways to play your strengths. So keeping a calm head and trying to be strategic, I think. Shannon? Yeah,
2: yeah, I I agree with Sharon a hundred percent. I I always like to tell people, you know, set your goals. Think about your goals. Where do you want to be in a year? In five years? Sometimes, I mean, I have a hard time thinking about where I want to be in five years. <laughs> in Hawaii on a beach? That sounds great to me. <laughs> but but, um, but you know, if you if you set those goals. And you have sort of a, a metric for checking in, um, you know, that that can help a lot. I tell people all the time when they are, uh, uh, you know, maybe trying to save more money or or pay down debt or something like that, you know, don't check in on a daily basis. Same with retirement accounts, too, right? Don't look at your balance every day. Every time you hear the market goes down, you want to look at your balance? Why? Mm-hmm. Look at it when it goes up, right? <laughs> it, and um but looking at those smaller numbers it's kind of like you said earlier Sharon when when we're looking at maybe losing weight you know that mm-hmm. first 5 pounds that you lose it's like yes i lost 5 pounds and it motivates you to do more right mm-hmm. and uh but the same is true of saving money or of paying down debt. You know, you save a little bit. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I, I can do this. I'm going to save more. Yeah. Or you pay down a little bit. You're like, oh, yeah, I can, look at that. It's going down. Mm-hmm. Less interest, everything like that. So mm-hmm. um, you have to celebrate those little successes, too. Um, and that, you know, that can help you feel more in control because you do feel like you're making progress. And the choices that you're making are making a difference in your life
0: in yep. and, in and ross, this sense of this again, all these questioners it was a sense of i don 't have control over this market i don 't have control over what 's happening here so gaining a sense of control when you're dealing with your money
3: yeah it's I, I think uh both you know the the points that are being made are are really good i think that that both Sharon and Shannon are saying um some important things I think that the, the one of the things that we um It's useful to understand is that that what does control represent um in order to be an investor some people confuse volatility as a fine but volatility is really kind of the fee that you have to pay in order to get above uh cash returns over long periods of time and there and the reason i say that is because if markets were completely and inherently stable um you wouldn't get a return on them. They would pay exactly what everything else is. It's it's because markets are unstable that you have a better chance of getting returns over time. And so what you're expecting is that uh, over longer periods of time, because of inflation and dividends and economic growth, markets will, will continue to grow. But there's no guarantee it will do that. And so the control that you have, one is how do you process what you're looking at? So in your 401k, you can look at what the value is every month, or you can look at the number of shares you keep buying. And those shares are gonna keep growing irrespective of what the market does. Uh, you can look at, from a savings standpoint, you can make sure that you have some money set aside in a cushion that's gonna be earning right now. On, I, uh, amazingly, savings rates are close to 4%. So you could have mo- some money working there. You could, if you want not have a mortgage, you can look at what you're paying down on that mortgage each month. So there, you, you're going to have little wins regardless of what the markets are doing. And sometimes you're going to have big wins if the markets, if you're an investor and the markets are doing well.
0: Um, well, let's just, actually, let's just, let's just go right to, since he's been waiting patiently, Stan in Austin, Minnesota. Stan? <clears throat> yes, hello. Yep.
5: Um, I'm a little over 72 years old. So I had my first required minimum distribution from my uh, IRA and uh, wife and I don't need those extra funds. We're wondering about reinvesting them. Do you have any uh, recommendations or uh, anything that I should avoid?
0: Okay. Uh, Ross, I'm going to toss this one to you in terms of you well, know, a- required minimum distributions, funds that you just don't need at the moment. Well, Chris, you know, the SECURE Act now, Stan's
3: 72, so so uh, he just got caught where he, he needed required minimum distributions. The SECURE Act now is moving them out to 73, and then uh, for people born in 1960, uh, you're going to move it all the way out to, to 75. So there's some advantages uh, for those that can delay it. The two things that I want to point out for Stan, one is that um, if he has uh, any kind of charitable inclination, those required minimum distributions are fantastic uh, sources of donations that you can make directly. You can't you can't use them for a donor advised fund, but you could make direct gifts to a, you know your uh, your causes that are important to you. That's a really tax effective way of making gifts. And you can actually start doing that at 70 and a half. You don't even need to be 72 in order to uh, to start doing that. And then secondly, Stan, you know, unfortunately, you have to take the required minimum distribution. Uh, you don't have to spend it. You could take it and you could uh, pay, pay your tax on it, which you have to do, but then you can invest it or you could make uh, gifts to um, others if you if you don't need the money. So if you've got kids that you want to provide uh, gifts to this year, you can gift up to seventeen thousand um, dollars to anyone you want, uh, per, uh, as many times as you want to different people. So. There's things that you can do with it. You're in a uh, a wonderful situation, though, Stan. So congratulations for the the comfort that you can feel in retirement.
0: And I want to ask uh, Sharon and Shan, I want to direct this question. Uh, It it, it got dropped from from a a listener from, from Bloomington. It says, I'm 74. And remember, I was encouraged to save as a young kid. So how do you teach kids to save now, especially, you know, living in an environment with low, low interest rates? And uh, you're both nodding. So uh, I'm going to just start with you, Sharon, arbitrarily.
1: Well, one thing I like to use with young people is a calculator that shows this isn't specifically about savings, but anything with an interest rate. If you start putting aside money at, say, 18, and then you can do these calculators and see how the money grows by the time they're 65, let's say. And it's always a pretty impressive amount. So it's just a great way to have people say, oh, wow, it's worth it. So I guess I would go for the wow factor to start. Um, And then secondly, I would say, to some degree, you can just build it into the life you live with your child, modeling savings, pointing out to them like, hey, we got to go on this trip because we saved up for it. Even doing something very obvious, like a, a, a change jar that you know you and your kid go together to the bank and then change out the money and it's always impressive again more wow factor so that's i'll let you answer now Shannon Shannon I, I mean, when you're looking at
2: interest, it is kind of hard, right? <laughs> I mean, especially on our savings accounts. Um, but I can tell you uh, an experience I had with my daughter when she was young. Uh, when she was about seven or eight years old, we would come home from daycare, and and I would give her a dollar, and she could go to the store, get a treat with it. You know, we would walk down to the store, or she could save it, and I would give her the choice. I was t- slyly trying to teach her about opportunity costs. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> so I would uh, and every day she had the choice and she had this Game Boy game, remember those Game Boys yeah, she wanted to save up for this and um, so as she as as the money grew as you know she would make choices um and at first it was really hard she's like oh, i want my treat i want that treat right but as she went sometimes she'd put her change in sometimes she would <laughs> um you know put dollars in sometimes i'd put a dollar in here and there you know <laughs> just to kind of get her motivated but the more money that was in that jar the more motivated she got so i think with kids depending on the age you have to make it real and uh, tangible so that they can see that money growing mm-hmm. and how savings gets to there or i mean how savings builds over time mm-hmm. but also um the the idea of having to make choices you know which 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 do you want to do do you want
1: to spend this or save this and it's a it's a tough skill <laughs> well and within reason having them feel the effects of not saving is a great is a great um tool as well a great learning tool because then they could say Oh, I want that Game Boy, but I decided to buy those, I don't know, those sneakers last week. And now I'm not going to get that Game Boy for another month or something like that. And you can talk that through with them. And you don't have to be punitive, but be like, oh, wouldn't that be so cool if you could have it right now? Or, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, but I mean, it doesn't have to be. It's just always, like you said, choices. So talking those things through with them and letting them experience that themselves is a great teacher.
0: Mm -hmm. Let's go to Arden in... Onamia? Did I say it correctly? Onamia?
5: <laughs> Close. Onamia.
0: Onamia. I'm sorry. Apologize. There. You there. That's all right. uh, so, your question?
5: Um, we're in a position where we have the opportunity to pay off our house. Our kids are out of college. Um, they're all uh, situated. And um, it's really our only tax um, deduction at this point is uh, our home interest. Is there a uh, at what point in our, how do you make a decision to to cut the the benefit versus the risk of you know, paying off that debt?
0: Okay. So Ross you know a framing of sort of how to how to how to think about the trade offs here.
3: Well and right. I think uh Arden, you know, the, the situation that you described is a little bit different than the one in Josh than than Josh described because uh your kids are out of the house. When you yeah. talked about uh, you're able to uh, write off the mortgage. You know th- what's interesting is that there's really only three things that give you write-offs right now. You know, unless you have exce- uh, mm-hmm. excessive health costs, y- your mortgage, your uh, state income tax, and property taxes, um, and and uh, charity. So mm-hmm. unless you're uh, unless you pay a lot in state income tax or do a lot in charity, a lot of your mortgage actually isn't benefiting you from a write-off standpoint. When you're getting ready to retire, driving down fixed costs is one of the best things that you can do because what that means is that you need less money um, in order to be able to live the life that you want to live in retirement. So Mm -hmm. I think working on uh, paying off your mortgage sounds like at this stage of your life is a reasonable strategy. I don't know what other investments you have, but I, but, Mm -hmm. um, I don't think you are getting the full benefit of the tax deduction anymore.
0: All right. Well, let's go now to Pat in Roseville. And Pat, what is your, what is your question?
7: I have a comment for Michael about uncertainty. Count on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I'm 64, but I have the portfolio of a much younger woman <laughs> because I take more risks. But I'm comfortable with them because I've been managing my portfolio since 2006 and um decisions come easier the more um decisions I make and but I'm you know I'm not cocky things can happen but you know what this is what I say if it's going to happen to me it's happening to everyone else too so you know
0: and so the markets go up and down it doesn't particularly affect you I mean you're you're not that bothered by it
7: no I remember my first $3,000 loss. Oh, my God. I had a three-day mope. I got over it. Now I lost 145000 and it's like, meh, that's the way it goes. <laughs> I mean, right? Move on or yeah. move
3: on, Pat. Mm.
7: Hold on or move
3: on. Well, <laughs> so, yeah,
7: it's, that 3000 stressed me out more than my one hundred forty five.
0: Okay. Well, <laughs> I love that. Wow. I love this, and um, let's see. Next, I want to go to. Let's go to Amber in Mayor. And Amber, what is what is your what is your question?
8: Um. So, me and my husband were in our mid thirties, late thirties, and currently we're no college loans, no car payments, and just the mortgage payment. And we've got baby number three on the way. So I'm sitting here like, okay, we got to go manage the three kids in daycare payments. Plus, for me personally, I am a saver. I like to save. I'm like spending money on me is like does not happen. But I'm sitting here wanting to go get a new garage, build a new garage for our place because we don't have one. i change our car situation. And I'm like sitting there, but that's all like 30000 $50,000. And I'd love to get a new bathroom upstairs. And I'm like, how do I manage knowing, like, I don't want to go and get another loan just for this. And I'm like, but I also don't want to not have it. And it's just really frustrating for me personally, where I'm like, I like, I just want to get rid of the mortgage payment. I'd love to just pay it off. But interest rates are really low on that, which I understand is like, okay, hey, that's good, but it still just bothers me. And I'm just like, how do I manage that without just sitting there with going through another winter without a garage?
0: Yeah. So, Shannon, I mean – in variations of her question this is what we all deal with right yeah
2: yeah yeah how do you how do you choose how do you prioritize um what comes first right i mean it's so- it sounds like i mean first of all congratulations it's if i heard you right the only debt you have is your mortgage so way to go on that <laughs> definitely baby number 3 and you've got you know daycare costs and uh oh, and and i feel for you daycare is so much um I I don't have a good answer about this except for, um, you know, really looking at prioritizing and deciding if if, if you can only pick one, what would it be, right? Um, Is it that garage? Can you do it without a loan? I I don't know. Um, But also that for... I'm going through a really similar thing at home right now. <laughs> so I'm kind of struggling with this because, you know, we, we want it and, and what we want to do is not a need. It's landscaping and, you know, hardscaping and things in the backyard. But I personally am not willing to, to even take a loan out at seven or eight percent interest. And so I think it really has to do with, you know, what is your tolerance level for that, for the debt that you'd have to take on? Um, and maybe running a calculator. Sometimes this helps me to run a calculator and see how much it would cost you over time, with the um, interest and in, in the amortizing and everything like that. Um, but that's the numbers side. Dealing with the emotion side is a lot harder. And um, I just I I don't know, Sharon. <laughs> what do you so think?
0: a budget, or you know, something to sort of put some concrete numbers behind. Uh, you know, a diff- this decision?
1: That sounds like a really good idea, Chris, because um, I also want to applaud you, Amber, and I feel you. It is hard. You've worked so hard to have this low amount of debt, and now you're thinking, I'm going to take on more just when we're getting ahead, or maybe you've always been ahead. Um, so I would say putting things down on paper so you can look at the actual numbers and see how doable that is for you is a good first step. And then Again, this sounds like something that has to do with your personal feelings of comfort and security kind of at um, in conflict with your desire to just have your life be more comfortable in general. Like I can't imagine taking three little ones out to the car and washing, I mean, brushing off the snow and all of that every day. So I if it were me, I would probably think about what my life might look like if I made the one change let's say that Shannon suggested how would that really feel and then look at the numbers is it worth that to me and my family and use that as a way to kind of take take a first step without actually doing a drastic step
0: all right now let's go to let's go to John in St Anthony village and John what is your question All right. Uh, Shall we go to Richard from Savage? Yep. Uh, Richard, um, what is your question for our panelists? Okay. I am very risk-averse,
4: and right before I retired, I decided to put most of my traditional IRAs into a CD, and I thought, boy, that's a smart thing. And now I'm realizing when the CD matures, it'll be an incredible... um, income that i'll have to pay taxes on all at one shot <laughs> and i was hoping there'd be a way i can withdraw the money slowly you know just a little bit each year so i'm not
0: paying taxes on on a big withdrawal of or you know when my cd matures
5: is there something i can do with that
0: so is the cd is it in a retirement account or is it just in a regular yes. re- re- regular yes. banking account
4: no, it's in a retirement account. It's a traditional IRA okay. in a CD form. I and got it. It
0: matures you
4: know, Is there something I can do to avoid paying taxes
0: on it? So, Ross, you know, again, this is, so many of these kinds of questions are about framing, how to think about, uh, how we might be able to think about some trade-offs.
3: Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, Richard, you, you probably don't have any uh, taxes that you have to pay on the maturity of the CD. If it's in a retirement plan, you're only going to pay taxes on what you withdraw from the retirement plan. So your required minimum distributions will will kick in, but that's the only thing you're going to be paying taxes on. But you know, one of the things that that um, Chris, when you talk about framing, it's 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 interesting, is that I I think a lot of people um, struggle with making decisions uh, because of you know things things like taxes. So for example, they might not sell an investment that they want to. Get out of because they're worried about the tax hit, and and then they watch the investment continue to drop. Mm-hmm. Um, they might not sell an investment uh, that they're underwater on because they can't rationalize taking a loss because it makes them feel like a failure. So I think what's really important is that you have again you have to understand what your priorities are uh, and make sure that the decisions that you make uh, are as unemotional as you can when you're dealing with an extremely emotional uh topic, and I think sometimes that's that's why having uh, other people to balance these ideas off of uh can be useful because they might be able to look at things a little bit differently than than you do
0: and I had to one question i'd have to have to get to that i uh, wrote down here I jotted down um so uh and since shannon you were uh you were nodding there, I wanted to just briefly talk about you know this buy now pay later phenomenon that is out there. Because as far as I can see, it's basically no, I mean, it's the same approach that you would think about credit card debt, you know, buy now, pay later sounds somehow better, but it's kind of, you're, you're, you're kind of doing the same thing anyway. So it's a lot of advertising out there. There's a, yeah, I don't know if you noticed during the holiday season, you know, every option for when you're buying gifts was buy now, pay later. So give us your thoughts about it.
2: And it's surprising (laughs) How long do we have? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, I'm going to give you a couple of be, <laughs> a couple of minutes there. So, I have
2: some thoughts. Um, no, I mean, it it is amazing because you see it everywhere. It doesn't matter how small your purchase is. If you are buying something online for everything you have the option, even groceries. And at LSS, we've been we were talking about this where some of our one-on-one counselors have actually talked to people who are using Buy Now Pay Later to buy their groceries. And when you think about that, like one buy now, pay later, say $250, pay it off over six months. That doesn't sound that bad. There's no interest. What could go wrong, right? Well, but then if you add another $250 the next month and another $250 the next month, you know, that stacks up and those payments are going to start getting pretty big. And it can make it really difficult to pay those off. Never mind crunching your already tight budget that led you to
1: want to do buy now, pay later in the first place.
0: So, Sharon, is this something that you, you've come across and, and you oh, deal yes. with?
1: Yes. Companies only offer these things because they make money off of them. And they make money off and of I them by us that. not paying I think them. that is
0: really important. <laughs> I'm no, I'm being very sure. serious. It's really important that in the end, the company is making money off of this.
1: Yes. So anytime right. they offer something to us that they say is good for us, the thing you know for sure is that it's good for the company. So you just have to be very defensive when you see those offers. And as, I assume... That there's, it's going to be much harder than they make it seem. And so kind of like you were saying in the very beginning, putting on the brakes and uh, just trying to figure out a different way if you can. Because the person who has the most interest in your financial health is you always, mm-hmm. um, not the companies that you deal with yeah. 100%.
2: Can I add to yeah. Chris? Um quickly just the idea that retailers are very smart. They know <laughs> how to get us to spend money and um they know that the further away from that pain at the point of purchase that we are the more we're gonna spend, so the easier it is to pay for something, the more we're likely to spend. They're very smart about that, and they know how to get us to do the one click or the yeah, I yeah. now pay later. Well,
0: my favorite is yeah. thinking about is you know I don't think in the in the history of car companies there's been a car company that's ever said if you take out a three year loan this twenty five thousand dollar car is gonna cost you forty thousand dollars or whatever. Oh, yes. Have you? I've never seen no, that. No. All I ever see is it's gonna cost you one hundred and eighty dollars a month or one hundred whatever is. Is, is the thing. Um, John uh, John is back, so let's go back to John in St. Anthony Village. And John, what is your question?
5: Well, my question is, uh, I'm 72, I'm retired, I'm getting uh, state pension, Social Security, and I have about a $2,000 a month surplus between my living expenses and what I'm getting in retirement. And I was just looking for any advice on what to do with the surplus funds.
0: And uh I just want to ask one follow up question before I turn this over, over to Ross and, and get his thoughts. But is charitable giving important to you?
5: Uh yes, it is.
0: Okay. Uh Ross, any thoughts? Well, the the surplus funds, John, I I think
3: are dependent upon what you what you want to be doing, but Chris's question is a good one because if charitable giving is important, for example, and you do have a retirement plan, you can use your uh requirement required minimum distributions to make qualified charitable distributions and you can give directly to the retirement plan rather than taking required minimum distributions, which would reduce that some of that two thousand dollars a month. Um, the the rest of the money you can decide you know if you don't need the money now you might want it later. You might need it later, so you can either put it to work for you, either in uh, investment accounts just through uh, monthly investing. You can just buy even index funds on a monthly basis. Um, or you could say, you know, in the next three to five years, I know I'm, I'm going to need to replace a car, I'm going to need to do something different. So you would, uh, money that you need in three years, you would just set up savings accounts. And right now, online savings accounts are the best vehicles for that. Um, you know, having the surplus. Uh today is a is a it's a wonderful thing and, and you really that gives you the freedom to do whatever you want with it.
0: Okay, so we have less than a minute here. Gonna be a little bit unfair. Ross, very quickly, you're a tip for having developing a, a healthier relationship with money. Here's the tip. Want what you have. And what I mean by that
3: is that The more comfortable you are with your position today, even though there's always things that we could do a little bit differently, the less money you're going to need. Thank you.
0: Shannon?
2: I'm going to quote a guest that you had, Chris, on a show a long time ago, which is, you don't manage money. You manage your choices around
1: money. Sharon? I think I would just end with what I've said a couple of times, which is know yourself. Really take time to understand your motivations, your strengths, your challenges, and think about all of that when it comes to decision-making around money.
0: Well, thank you very much. This has been wonderful. Thank you to the people who called in. I apologize. We didn't quite get to everybody online. Um, But uh, this conversation was produced by Matt Avarez and Sharon Powell, Shannon Doyle, and Ross Levin were our experts.